want you, man. Get the other record. Damn. the dark don't you listener you can be yourself in the dark but you know there's one dark place that we have to be very careful in and that's the disenfranchised podcast where that podcast all about those franchises of one those films that fancy themselves full-fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after the first film i'm your host stephen foxworthy uh we have not heard from brett wright for a few days since he uh, wandered in to check on a wayward child in his neighborhood we wish him very speedy return um in the meantime though I, about a little over a year ago we invited into our homes and into our lives and into our podcast uh, a man who is, um, shall we say, a little more on the demanding side of things. And um, he just had a lot of movies that he really wanted to talk about. And rather than, you know, put my foot down and be the stern taskmaster I, I have been, um, because he's a lot more annoying than Brett, you see. Um, I opted to give him space on the main feed once every three months, four times a year to go off format, completely off topic and talk about whatever the hell his, his weird little heart desires. Uh, The first of those was just a few months ago last year when we talked about the return of Captain Invisible, Invincible, excuse me, Invincible, Invincible. The second is today this is the second episode of a little show we call straight up and the man is our very own tucker tucker how are we doing tonight hello steven i'm doing well how are you i'm doing okay i am um uh, I'm, uh, this movie man we're gonna talk about it but yeah man fuck yeah Can't i'm conf- i'm confused um yeah help me make it make sense um So, yeah, basically the premise of this show, this show is straight up. You'll notice the intro music you heard is very different. If I had had the foresight, I would have downloaded uh, a part of the chorus of Paula Abdul singing straight up and dropped it on the soundboard. So I could just play it (laughs) randomly throughout the episode. That would have been a lot of fun uh, had I thought about it. Every once in a while, every once in a while, there's a. (laughs) Yeah. Or just (laughs) straight up. Um, Yeah, just, you know. I, I, that would have been fun. Um, had I thought about it, you know, before 10 minutes ago, I might've actually gotten it done, but it didn't happen. Um, maybe next time, maybe next time, maybe for episode three, straight up, maybe for episode three. Um, but yeah, that straight up is basically the show where it's, it's part of our main feed, but we let Tucker pretty much do whatever the fuck he wants. And, um, believe me, um, I, I have my reservations and uh, we'll get into those, I'm sure. But Tucker, what movie are we talking about today? 
We are talking about the 1989 almost cult classic film, Parents. I'd say it's it qualifies as a cult classic. It does now, but we'll get more into that when we talk about our histories with the film. Sure, sure. 1989's Parents, starring, uh, directed by Bob Balaban. Yes, that Bob Balaban and written by Christopher Hawthorne and starring Randy Quaid, Mary Beth Hurt, Sandy Dennis, Brian Medorsky, Juno Mills Cockle, excuse me, uh, Deborah Rush and and a few others, uh, including Wayne Robson and Graham Jarvis. What a cast. What a picture. Tucker. Oh, Mary Beth Hurt, dude. I love her so much in she's everything. Good. Her my favorite performance of hers is actually in Bob Balaban's follow up to this future episode of Straight Up. My boyfriend's back. My boyfriend's back. I was she gonna say. Is a treat in that fucking movie and she's great in this movie too i love the way that she plays off randy quaid that you can tell that she has a lot of respect for him also she doesn't agree with the way that he interacts with the boy Mm -hmm. and i love her relationship with him i love how starkly different it is than his relationship with his father there's so much going on in this movie dude so much going on and mary beth hurt and well everybody in this movie is just making a meal out of it dude they they a meal out of it. I mean, ironic that you say it quite that way, but yes. I know. <laughs> like Randy Quaid, I am afraid, like from the first frame, Randy Quaid, before you even know what this movie's about, you are afraid of that man. Yeah. Like there's something about that man where you're like, I you I don't know about this guy. <laughs> it it almost foreshadows his his legal problems of the last fifteen years or so. Um like just kind of it, it foreshadows the way that he's kind of gone off the deep end uh, within yeah. the last 15 years. Like it's, it's pretty wild. Yeah, um, well, but no, his I, character in this is a lot more subtle than what he has become in real life. I mean, anything <laughs> is more subtle. His character in independence <laughs> day is more subtle than what he's become in real life. Yes. Yes. I like, I like his characters more than I like him. I mean, cousin Eddie me is the- more subtle than what he's become in real life. Let's be honest. Give me, give me the drunk from Independence Day. Like, come on. Yeah. Fuck. Give me cousin Eddie. That. Shitter's full. Yeah, yes. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Well, in in that movie, not in the sequel. That's all about cousin Eddie. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's he's funny in the canonical vacation movies, but mm. there's a reason he doesn't show up in the remake, and nor should he. And uh, there's a reason he that was- nobody saw that sequel. I think he was the only thing that I thought was funny about. Um, doesn't he show up in Vegas Vacation? He is. He's a big part of Vegas Vacation. Uh, yeah, like the only no. part I liked. He, Vegas Vacation, future episode of Unenfranchised behind our paywall, patreon.com slash disenfranchpod. I can't wait to see that again. I haven't seen it since it, we saw that at the movie theater as a family when it came <laughs> out. I watched that one for the first time on HBO. And then uh, watched it most recently during 2020 when I decided to do an entire franchise rewatch of the National Lampoon Vacation franchise. I think it's better than European Vacation. I might. No, I don't think I agree with you. I actually like I European know. Vacation. It, it, it spins it's, its wheels too much for me. It's the, but Yes, it does. Absolutely. Like, but I'm also not a huge fan of Christmas Vacation, actually. Like I I'm think the first either, one is but the I, I understand really works. 
I get why people like Christmas Vacation, but the reason that I don't like it as much anymore is because of how much people like it. And yeah. I hate to be that way. I don't like being that way. But when something gets popular and I can't like look in any direction without like slamming right into it, mm -hmm. it just gets annoying and I don't like it anymore. No matter how good it is, like I just get sick of hearing about it, you know? Right. No, I get it. My That was one of my... My ex-wife's favorites was the National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And we watched it every year without fail. It was kind of required watching for us. So I I kind of got very sick of it very quickly. As a result, I'm actually trying to look through Letterboxd to see if I can find my ranked list of the vacation movies. I thought the reboot was okay. It was um, I didn't hate it. That's did a future episode it. of this podcast, by the way. Is we, we I'd love to them. watch that again. We will definitely. Because I remember at some point. I remember not hating that. Is what I'm going to say. I remember being like, "Yeah, this is okay. I don't hate um, this." Yeah, here's my God. Do I really have Christmas Vacation at number one? Well, maybe you do. I think I do. I it looks like I do. And then the original at number two, European at number three. Uh, I give that one two stars though, so I didn't clearly didn't like it very much. Vegas Vacation gets I have one and a half stars, and Vacation <laughs> also gets one and a half stars. Although that may that that's the remake, the 2015 Vacation. That one may raise a little bit um, when I get a chance to rewatch it. I guess we'll find out. Let's do a rewatch the whole series, Stephen. I haven't seen a Vacation since the reboot came out. Uh, we can definitely do that. I, I just finished. I just wrapped up a franchise rewatch this week. So I'm actually going to do movies. another franchise rewatch starting tomorrow. I've already got my like list oh. planned out for that one. Nice. It's going to culminate in me seeing a movie on the big screen at the end of the week. Oh, so yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So I'm going to see, I'm going to watch all the dunes. Oh, I'm going to watch the, the documentary Yodorowsky's Dune. I'm going to watch the David Lynch Dune. I'm going to watch the Sci-Fi Channel miniseries Dune, the Sci-Fi mm -hmm. Channel miniseries sequel, Children of Dune, and then Dune Part 1, and then go to the theater to see Dune Part 2. Nice. Yeah. I never really got into it. I've seen the Lynch version. I just don't. It's it's that it's that color palette. You know, my brain can't do it. I want to. The, the, I just can't the, get into it. The reboot or the the remake, uh, the the updated the Denis Villeneuve film uh, is the new phenomenal. ones. Yeah, yeah, that's what I've heard. And that's what I've heard. I've I've heard the sequels even better. So I'm really because that one was my second favorite movie of 2021 after Matrix Resurrections. Um, I'm glad that Dune fans are getting their due. It it look they've waited a long time. That's what I've heard. So yeah. So, uh, so Stephen, what's your history with this movie, Parents? Um, I wonder. Uh, God, about a few months ago, yeah. some guy I host a podcast with is like, Brett. Hey, I'm going to do my own show, and I'm going to straight up make Parents the first episode, <laughs> yo. Hey, hey, I want to do my own show. Is that how I sound, <laughs> Stephen? <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> no, oh, the way you do it, you sound like Eric Cartman. <laughs> Maybe, but Steven, um, I want my own show. Um, much. but uh, no, so you had mentioned it to me, and I, my, my partner, my partner, and I have a big debate over this. When we first started like 
dating, even before we were dating, we watched a lot of movies together because mm-hmm. we both like movies. Um, and she likes a lot of horror movies. And three of the movies that we watched together were cannibal films. And in my mind, if you like this movie enough, oh, do you want me to go through them? I want to know what they were. Yeah. I want to judge you. Uh, future episode of this podcast, The Green Inferno. Okay. Um, then future episode of this podcast, Babysitter Wanted. I don't know about that one. Uh, it's bad. Like spoilers. It's a cannibal movie. It's real bad. Uh, and then Raw, the, the French extremity film Raw, which oh, is yeah. fucking. Have you seen Raw, Tucker? I have not. I have Tucker, not. you need to see Raw. Raw fucking rules. I know the poster. Yeah. But I haven't seen it. No, Raw. It's, got, it's like branded in the lady's butt or something, right? Is it? I don't know. The The poster like, I know is like she's got her fingers up to her lips and like there's like blood dripping from them. Oh, um, yeah, I don't know, dude. But it's it's good. It's French. Um, and Ooh, it's, la la. Oui, oui. it's uh, sexy as hell. And Shocker, there's people eating people and it's fucking great. Nice. Um, so, yeah, I of those three films, Raw is far and away the best one. Um, but we so I was like you like cannibal movies. She's like, I don't like cannibal movies. And I was like, but, but, but evidence. And she's like, no, (laughs) I like those movies. Like those are good. She does not think babysitter wanted was good. She was like, this is one that I liked when I was younger and I haven't rewatched it since let's watch it. And we rewatched it. And she's like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. And I was like, it's pretty bad. Um, so, but we'll cover it on this podcast one day, I'm sure. Um, but she, um, She's like, I like those movies in spite of the cannibalistic elements of them. Yeah, I, um, I get that. I don't necessarily like cannibal movies, but there are some movies that I like that are cannibal movies. Which she remembered you saying that, I think, on a past episode. It was kind of like, wait, why is this the movie that you that Tucker wants to cover? Because this is this is absolutely a cannibal movie. Um, and I was it's like, really I, good movie. <laughs> I, I will call him out on that. I guess she was not impressed with what she saw of it. I will say that we, we had started to watch it uh, several months ago and she couldn't get into it. She, it wasn't her thing. Um, and then I like paused it and stopped watching it and like, just didn't get back to it. Um, until earlier today when I sat down, I was like, I need to watch parents. So I sat down and I rewatched it and I watched the whole damn thing straight through. Um, and I've now seen, parents so that is my history with the 1989 bob balaban film parents it's such a mood it is this movie there is i should have i feel like this would be a really great double feature with serial mom i think it would and you do you do serial mom second um i think that's what i I would have suggested too yeah i don't know if you would have been able to follow these stipulations but i should have given you the best uh, like climate, I guess, to watch this movie, and you wanna you wanna watch it f- a little bit louder than you normally would. Anything else? Just not really loud, but just a little bit louder. You you want the lights to be dim, and you need to not be disturbed while it's on. Mm. That's the perfect way to watch this movie because it, if you let it, it will take a hold of you and just not let go until it's over. Mm. But if if everything's not like the way you need it to be, you might not like I can watch it in any situation and be like, yeah, rad, because I've done it in optimal com- conditions before. Right. I've experienced it that way. Today, I did have two interruptions. 
whatever. I did have it on loud though, and I only had one light on in my room and my window closed. So see, I don't have curtains in my living loud. room. Loud. So strike Look, one. Did not have the volume cranked. Had it just you know loud enough to be heard over my fan, and then um, had more than two interruptions. I'm afraid during the watch. So conditions not optimal for Stephen's viewing. Apparently, you need you need the volume up. Like I said, you don't need to blare it. You don't need to blast it. But you need it up a little louder than you normally would watch something at, okay. um, because that score it it pulses through the entire thing. And the only way that you're really going to catch a ride on that rhythm of the score is if your volume's up just a tiny bit more. Like, okay. I will get technical on this movie, dude. There are ways to watch this movie. This is apparently uh, the guy who did the score, BT Dubs. That's the Twin Peaks guy. Uh, he did a couple songs. I don't think he did the whole score, but yeah, I did. I did track his name in the opening credits and turned to my partner and went, "Hey, Angelo Badalamenti," and she kind of looked did. at me unknowingly. But yeah, a lot of the music in this film, uh, it, they're instrumentals from the fifties, right? Stuff like uh, "Cherry Blossoms," which is a song, I, the the opening song. Mm-hmm. with that that trumpet that the guy's playing way like a higher octave than you should ever play on a trumpet and it's amazing right um there's most of the music is composed of that but the like three or four bits of music that are not just instrumentals from the 50s are angelo and it yeah. all it fits in seamlessly and his stuff is the stuff that's more like that weird cerebral stuff that pulses and thumps mm-hmm. in the background. But he does some of the, the lighter themes too. Like some of the stuff, a the few of those, you would expect Mambo, them to be I think instrumentals. Is what it's yeah. Yeah. You expect that to be like the other ones, but that's actually an original from your boy, Angelo. Right. Who is, I mean, there's a reason why he, he has been, or I think was, he, is he, I think he might not be with us any longer. I'm going to double check yeah, on that. But, I think he'd passed away fairly recently. Yeah, 2022. Um, but like, there was a reason he was Lynch's guy. Like, and he this is was right before Twin Peaks. Right before Twin Peaks. Yeah, like he's been, I think, a composer for Lynch pretty consistently. Since he did Blue Velvet, didn't he? Uh, I'm I'm looking back through his his filmography right now. Uh, he does. He does do Wild at Heart. He does do Twin Peaks. He is also the composer for speaking of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. <laughs> oh, Angelo. <laughs> um, his first collaboration with Lynch is Blue Velvet. You're right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then immediately after that, I he thought. does Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. Yep. Uh, he composes the work for Twin Peaks, uh, Wild at Heart, Lynch's follow up to that. Uh, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, future episode of this podcast, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. Um and then it looks like he takes a little bit. Oh, he does do Lost Highway for Lynch as well, which I'm trying to think if that that might be Lynch's follow up to um, Firewalk with me. Uh, he does the straight story as well. So, yeah, pretty much since Blue Velvet, like yeah. he is Lynch has got Mulholland Drive, which is God, I love that score so much. He can do so much. Um, but what I really love. Uh, the stuff that he does that I love the most is the more ambient stuff like you mm-hmm. hear in this film, the more surreal ambient stuff. It's, I mean, that's really all for Twin it. Peaks is really is that ambient stuff. Yeah. He also does. Oh, God, he does the uh, the the music for the Neil LeBute film, The Wicker Man that we were talking about on uh, Behind yeah. the Paywall. So, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, like he's he's I think the only one of Lynch's films he doesn't score is uh, Inland Empire. Like we I don't are very see... pro Angelo here on the disenfranchised. Podcast. I mean, we we do. We love Angelo Badalamenti. We love David Lynch. Pro we Angelo. stand both of them for sure, for sure. And that's another thing about this film. I promise I'm going to get to my history with it. But that's another thing about yeah. this film is that it is uh, in a lot of ways. It is very Lynchian. I think I used to tell the joke that this movie is just this is David Lynch's childhood. I mean, this is <laughs> that's this movie. That's his childhood. Yeah. He always talks about, you know, growing up in the, in the suburbs and, you know, the middle America did the 50s and rock and roll. You know, I love the 50s. It's the decade I grew up in. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Coop. So my history with this film, Stephen, if I may. You may. By all means. I've been waiting for it. <clears throat> This was the first uh, weird little movie that I ever found on my own. Uh, back when I was a teenager, uh, being a film fan, uh, uh, I did not have to walk uphill both ways to school in snow with bare feet, but I did not have the internet to watch movies on, mm. to watch every movie ever available at the at the tip of my fingers. That did not. That was not happening. I wish every some movie work back available was. I wish every movie ever made was available at the touch of my finger. Now I am obviously exaggerating, but Stephen, in the context that I'm speaking, you know what I mean. I do. Like you can get pretty but much still. anything now. Like, are there some blind spots? Sure. There's some weird shit that's only on out of print DVD that you're like, how is this not streaming? But I mean, overall, I had the hardest time when I did Friedkin's filmography, I had the hardest time rounding it out because his movie Rampage was only ever released on VHS. It never got a physical media release <laughs> after that. Yeah. So you yeah. kind of have to pirate it to watch it. And every, 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 rip of it is grainy as shit because of it it's just so. a vhs and you're not yeah. gonna get it in the original aspect ratio it's, mm -mm. it's gonna be four by three it's like it's gonna suck shit. regardless yeah 480p looking shit um speaking of pan and scan four by three 480 uh so i just plucked this randomly off of a video store shelf this was being sold at a little video store in greenwood um I don't remember what it was called, but it was an independently owned video store. And it's where I went to get all my weird movies. And uh, the first time I ever stopped by there, I grabbed uh, this mm -hmm. and they were selling it. It was a couple bucks. I got it on VHS and I took it home. Steven, I was probably 15. Okay. When I first saw this. Mm -hmm. And I have been a fan ever since. I have shown this to as many people as possible. I made this movie hot, Stephen. I made this movie hot because when I saw it, like in the late '90s, this movie came out in '89. Yeah, I saw this in the late '90s. Nobody had heard of this shit. No. Twenty-five years later, I don't know yeah. if it's an implanted memory or if it was an actual genuine memory, but I seem to recall as I was watching this, one of my friends on the playground telling me about a similar movie to this i don't know if it was this one or if it was serial mom or something but like a movie about like killer parents um i I've, i have this vague recollection of and i i feel like i know which of my friends it was 
but I just have this vague recollection of hearing about it on the playground when I was in elementary school. Nice. Yeah. So this was, go ahead. No, I just, I, I just, yeah, I'm trying to like, I'm trying to determine again, I can't tell if it's a real memory or just one that I made up. So like, I don't know, it feels, it feels tenuous at best. So I don't want to rely on it, but yeah. When I saw this movie, this was the weirdest movie I'd ever seen. Okay. Yeah. Of course, since then. <laughs> sure. It's considered a little tame now, if I'm being honest. Stay tuned but... for more weird shit from Tucker. <laughs> you got you got to start somewhere, man. You got to start yeah. somewhere. Everyone's got to start somewhere. Is where I started. I didn't know you were allowed to make movies like this. Like with the weird surreal shit, like him jumping in the bed and it just turning into like a, a pool of like a literal swimming pool of blood, mm-hmm. uh, like all the switches to black and white and the, the grainy close ups and stuff like every time like he gets like the scared or he gets the less color there is usually in this film. Right. I like when he catches his parents uh, getting a little friendly there in the living room, it just mm-hmm. goes like the most like washed out black and white. Right. I love the filmmaking choices in this. And then movie. when you do These see are... the color, it's like like desaturated quite a bit. Yeah. Like when, yeah. Be- because you need to see the lipstick stains on their faces, which becomes something else as he remembers it more later. Like, yeah. There's so many choices, uh filmmaking choices in this movie that as like a 15 year old kid that was just starting my journey as a, a fan of, of film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I didn't know you could do that kind of stuff. I didn't know that was possible. And even though I think every time I watch it, I, I get it a little more. I, I, I appreciate it a little more, but even that first time I watched it where I just had no idea what the fuck was going on. Mm-hmm. I still was like, this is, this is something like I yeah. I've discovered something. <laughs> like I feel like this I've been spelunking something. Yes, I'm making a mountain out of mashed potatoes here, man. Like <clears throat> I buy it. Yeah. So I've I've consistently watched it over the years. Um I think it's fantastic. Uh like I said, I've showed it to pretty much everyone I've ever come into contact with. If you hang around me long enough, we're gonna watch parents. <laughs> and, and I guess it's our turn. I would say overwhelmingly the the response has been positive. I don't think anyone has disliked it. There have been people that are like like this is not for me but I appreciate it. Like I get it and that's rad. But that's like the worst I've ever gotten. Yeah. And I didn't I just I'll tell you right up the top just to put your sure. mind at ease. I didn't hate this movie. I I, I reckon, I, again, I think I fall into this isn't for me. Um, I don't think the fifties pastiche works for me quite as well as it might for like someone, my father's age, someone who grew up Mm -hmm. in this time frame. The show's Um, to your dad. He'll like it. No, he will not. Uh, I guarantee you my father will not like this movie. No. Um, (laughs) but like, I can appreciate the filmmaking style, like the choices and the style are really, I think the star of this film. I feel like. I was reading Roger Ebert's uh, review or, or looking at a transcript of Roger Ebert's review from. Oh, I from didn't Siskel know he reviewed Ebert. this. Yeah. At the movies, uh, he and Gene Siskel reviewed this one and he. How he, he feel s- about this? I feel like he'd go either way on it, honestly. 
it, it it honestly it went the opposite way I would have expected. Ebert didn't really care for it, and Siskel thought it was really fun, um, which is not the way I would have thought it would have gone. I would have thought it would have gone the other way. <clears throat> but but good old Uncle Roger said, um, it feels like a black comedy where the jokes just never really hit. And that's kind of where I found myself is like, it feels like it takes itself too seriously to really lean into the elements that it wants you to think are funny to actually be funny. And that's, I felt like it didn't, it didn't grab me for that. Like I was kind of waiting for the comedy to kick in and it never really does for me. I think that's that's a problem because I've never I've never seen this as a comedy. Um, there are some things that are funny, not because they're jokes, just because sometimes something is so uncomfortable that it's funny. Right. I think his his relationship with the boss's daughter, uh, there are some elements of that that can be funny, but overall are honestly that's kind of fucked up too like that little girl's fucked up correct fucked up i mean and you you never get a sense of what her deal is because she's not a full character really no she's she's periphery yeah but like every the things that you do find out about her like the first conversation they have the first thing you hear her say is she teaches everyone in the class how to make a gibson (laughs) It's an onion in your martini, man. It's Gibson, man. One of what there's a reason I have uh cocktail olives or cocktail onions in my refrigerator right now. My partner loves Gibsons. So I actually That's how that. I know that's how I know what a Gibson is because yeah. of this movie. I also because of this movie, I know <clears throat> that if you cut off somebody's hands and you boil them, get them really hot and you boil them and and then you drink the water. Uh, you can be invisible. No, no, no. It's the, you take a cat's carcass and you broil it. What about the hands? All... There's hands. The hands. It's the the how you don't have to pay for gas again. Oh, look! I've heard that some people on the internet they say that this that they think the people are witches because of some yes. of the stuff that they say. I don't. I read that. I don't too. catch that. I don't it, really get not, that vibe, but then again, I don't know a lot about witchcraft, so right. Like they come from Massachusetts, like Salem witch trials, I, yeah. all that. Yeah, uh, he works Everyone for a modern Randy alchemy Quaid. company. Yeah, Randy Quaid says that they'll be burned if they find out, but like mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't. It doesn't. There's not. Those aren't dots to be connected to me. I. I, it's just I it feels. Them. It feels like you're grasping for something. Um, I think you know the main takeaway is that they're cannibals. They eat people. Mm-hmm. That's 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 the headline. Um, I, I may, I feel like I was watching this and I feel like this feel, I said to my partner, this feels who was not watching this movie with me. She was kind of like up around doing stuff and would occasionally pop Mm -hmm. in while I was watching it. I was like, this feels like Tucker's vegetarian awakening moment to me. (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) Which I know it wasn't, but like, it feels like it could be because this film has so many shots of meat and the cooking of meat Oh, and it's it, so gross. <laughs> it never looks appetizing. Ever. No, it all it's like you don't you can't tell really what it is. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like you're suspicious of it immediately. I think the only time it looks appetizing is the first scene on the grill 
where he's like mm-hmm. turning like the what I thought were chickens but probably aren't and she's like spraying them and then he's got like the 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 he's like seasoning them all and like flipping the one like that's the only time it actually appealed to me and every other time you see any cut of meat in this movie um especially the scenes where they're frying the liver um mm-hmm. it just and that sandwich at the end whoa. oh gross yeah like every every oh, other time man. i see meat in this movie i'm like should i become a vegetarian like i think look look grandpa i think i think michael is uh he's a little too big to carry him to bed i'm just saying yeah you yeah. don't carry anyone over like three years old like that dude come on uh, cor- correct <laughs> but you see it's but and i think that's the thing because it parallels the be- the end of this movie parallels the beginning of this movie so well mm-hmm. in that you get the the father figure carrying the son to bed putting him to bed and that's what leads to that final like question i, I won't, don't even know if i would call it a reveal but the final question of very ambiguous where because he, that's his parents Beth, right that's and Randy and, and mary yeah. beth hurt like she says in the movie like he says in the movie your mom didn't like it at first but she came around yeah, exactly like those are his parents so mm-hmm. and the fact that the 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 fact that the midnight snack that they leave him is a giant ass sandwich of nothing Big but meat dry fucking meat sandwich yeah it's the driest meat i've ever seen in my life again it looks so unhappy even the scene where she's like making the meatloaf it's just ground beef but it it's not yeah. filmed in such a way that makes it look appetizing but then again that reminds me of like those 50s like cookbooks and shit that you see like all those recipes featuring like jello molds and mm-hmm. and just like everything's like fucking congealed and nasty and gross and shit. Like that's what it kind of reminded me of is that like fifties, Betty Crocker housewife following a recipe that she cut out of a magazine and it ends up being awful kind of a thing. And but I'm she like, trimmed Ooh. off all the fat. <sighs> so it's, so it's dry as shit is basically what I it think. Is. I think her, that joke was because it was Sandy Dennis. And yeah. she was a little chubby in that movie. I think right. that was the joke there. No, that is a hundred percent the joke there. Um, but yeah, like um, we're like just carving up people, and and I don't know. I feel like the poster kind of gives away the twist of the movie, particularly because the twist of the movie really doesn't fully come into play until like an hour in. No, yeah, and if so you like, don't it's, know that's if you can go in blind, if that's possible, if you can go in blind for the first hour, you're going to be like. I don't know what the fuck is going on, but something is going on and I'm uncomfortable. It feels, <laughs> exactly. It feels like one of those things that benefits from like, like barbarian. It benefits from you not knowing anything mm-hmm. about it beforehand. I would say another movie that famously had the, the twist spoiled in the, in the fucking marketing Terminator two. Um, that movie works so much better. If you, because the, the twist of that movie is that Arnold's good now. That's the twist of that movie. Yeah. But they spoiled that in the fucking marketing. So like because Robert Patrick's character like becomes a cop and like is also looking for John Connor. Like it's a whole misdirect thing that until Arnie says to her, come with me if you want to live. You're not really sure if he's if he's a good guy or not. Like it's it's you know pretty intense and pretty amazing. The best switcheroo, the best twist in any movie ever 
unfortunately had to be spoiled by its marketing to sell the movie. And that is from Dusk Till Dawn. Mm. Imagine going into that blind. Imagine not knowing that's a vampire movie. That's a great Can you imagine that, Steven. No. Can you fucking imagine? You're no. just sitting there having fun, like watching these two assholes boss around this family and the watching ladies the dancing Tarantino and everything's great. Movie. Yeah. We're having a great time. You know, well, except for Richie. Richie's a little, except for Richie, we're not having a great time with him. He's no, uh, oh, Richie's kind of a despicable, disgusting character, and I hate him. But like, it works for the movie, right? But that it just, just like that, all of a sudden, there's all these va- out of nowhere. It's, it's all a, these vampires. It's a gear shift movie, man. That's what it's a gear amazing. shift movie is, dude. Hancock, take some notes. <laughs> No nah, man, gearship movies. I fucking love like Predator. Predator is another one that I really fucking love. Yes. Again, where you're just like that movie starts off as a balls out '80s action movie, and then becomes a slasher movie halfway it's through. A slasher, yes, and it's and it, and you get to watch the pinnacle of '80s masculinity just get killed off one by one. That's the best part of the slasher part of that is they establish so much how like mm-hmm. how big of fucking badasses these guys are. Yeah. Yeah, and they're like, oh yeah, these dudes are badasses, right? Well, check this shit out. Exactly, oh, exactly. I got and invisible so, badass with so some the lasers. Back, so the back half of that movie is so effective for that very reason. Like it's God. And another another gear shift movie I really love. I'm now we're on gear shift. We were on cannibal movies. Now do we're it. on gear shift movies. Let's do it. Boogie Nights, fucking Boogie Nights, dude. Like that New Year's scene and that Whoa. shot when when William H Macy goes fucking ballistic in that scene, and the rest of that movie is just like awful. I always forget he's in that. Yeah, dude, he's Paul. It's a Paul Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Of course he is. Like he's so fucking good in it. Billy H Macy. Yeah, buddy. Um, but yeah, no Gearshift movies. I fucking love them. I fucking love them. And Predator is. I think Predator is one of the best. And I think from Dust Till Dawn is another great example of that as well. Um, but yeah, I think this movie is, and I wouldn't even call this a gear shift movie because the entire time is just kind of this unsettling thing. And it, it feels like to me, and I could be wrong, but it feels like the writer of this movie has some trauma because he walked in on his mom and dad fucking one time. And couldn't get over that. And <laughs> like this movie feels like born out of that kind of trauma. Um, but then like, but what's worse than your parents fucking uh, your parents eating a bunch of raw human meat. Can I tell you about the writer of this film? While fucking. Yes, please do. I want you want me to tell you about him while fucking. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, eating. I got to make some calls, but hold fucking. on, I guess like. <laughs> Um, the writer of this film, Christopher Hawthorne, who hasn't really done much, he's more of a, a, a marketing guy. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, but he wrote this script and just kind of had it. And he met Bob Balaban on a plane and he was like, Hey, check this out. And Bob was like, this is fucking rad. Can I direct it? And he was like, yeah. And now here we are. There you go. They just met on a plane and he had the script with him. He's like, you want to check this out? He's like, actually, I do. And then, bam, here we are. And, and the rest, as they say. Like, it's... Now, that's, that's, not a, that's not an easy fact to track down. You'd think that would be in the parents' trivia. 
but it's in the Christopher Hawthorne trivia. Nice. Is where you get that little bit, <laughs> little nugget of information. Yeah, this, uh, this your boy movie, does the research. This movie, very difficult to research. Uh, an attempt was made, dear listener, um, but it, at least by me. But for, for me, it was not a successful attempt, unfortunately. No, there's not a lot of info about it. The The guy that played the kid, this is his only movie. He's like an I'm, accountant or something now, or a realtor. I don't know. I'm not, not even a little surprised. Like, it doesn't... I feel like the person, the people that kind of went on to do most is Randy Quaid, Mary Beth Hurt, and weirdly Deborah Rush, who plays um, Mrs. Zellner. Like, I recognized her right off the bat because she's one of those great, like, yeah. that guy actors of of like comedy, like that that mm-hmm. girl. Like, she's just she's been in, in literally everything. Yeah. Like, In and Out, You've Got Mail. She's been in every T. I just actually I watched a lot of Inside Amy Schumer the last few days, and the last episode I watched, she's in that episode playing Amy Schumer's mom. Uh, she's in Strangers with oh, Candy, uh, American Wedding. Um, like she's just all sorts of stuff, man. She just like she gets around. Strangers and with does Candy work. was that is that Tracy Ullman? No, that's Amy Sedaris. Oh shit. How do Amy I get those Sed- mixed up? I don't know. It's Amy Sedaris, Stephen Colbert. What was, what was the show with Tracy Paul Ullman? Paul Uh The Tracy Ullman show? Gal. No, there was another gal. There was two of them. Doesn't matter. Moving on. Uh, absolutely fabulous. That That's also not Tracy Ullman. That is... Fuck, um, dude. That's uh, French and Saunders. Don French and Jennifer remember, Saunders. You straight up maybe Abfab, dude? Fuck yeah, I remember that's Ab a, Fab. That's a poll. That's a, that's a deep poll. Like that, that was really popular at the time, but nobody fucking talks about it now. No, it was because it was more popular in England than it was here. I was pretty popular here. I thought. I think it's in certain like circles it was, but but it did. It was on. It was on cable. Well, it they wasn't played like, it on PBS. Oh, did they? Okay. I think they but played yeah. it on PBS a little bit. <clears throat> but Man, yeah. I miss all the British shows being on PBS. I mean, you still get a few but not like it used to be keeping up appearances used to be my jam, dude. I fucking love that show. That's how I'd watch all the episodes of flying circus before the VHS. came out. I used to have the entire, all four seasons of Monty Python's flying circus on VHS. I, used to I believe it. Shit. I believe it. That's, that's a show that you could get that whole set blindly, just pick a tape and you're having a good time for an hour. Absolutely. Fucking absolutely. There are no bad episodes of that show. None. I wonder if it's streaming anywhere. On Netflix, Netflix has the exclusive rights to the point to where you can't even get clips or individual sketches on YouTube because Netflix is like, nah, fuck you, dude. Oh, dude. Okay. Apparently, Netflix needs to send some money to Eric Idle because he, I heard he'd been bitching about like still having to work and stuff. And Jean Cleese is like, shut up, idiot, because they notoriously all hate each other. Yeah. The last movie they all, <laughs> the last movie they all did together with, of course, with the uh, absent absent Graham Chapman who, who passed Graham away Chapman. many years earlier. Do you remember? Do you know what it was? Do you know what the last movie they all did together? Was it one of those fish called Wanders? No, it was. Um, the, fuck, the, what was the, the name Terry of it? Gilliam movie. The um, not the Bandersnatch. The fucking not Terry Gilliam. It's Terry Jones. The Terry Jones movie. It's also Robin the, Williams's last movie. Uh, where Robin Williams plays of. a talking dog. 
Um, Absolutely Anything is the name of the movie. It's got Simon Pegg. Uh, All the Pythons are in it? Oh, that's the yes. one with he's on the Simon Pegg's on the front and he has the hat and he looks all old timey and stuff. No. He looks old timey. Does he not no. look old timey? He does not look old timey. Okay. No, it's the one with these aliens voiced by the Pythons. Um, pick a human oh, and give him give him the powers of God. Um, and um, it's the person they pick is Simon Pegg. Um, and yeah, it's the last time that all f- five of the surviving Pythons were together in a in a film. Uh, they all provide the voices of the five aliens. So yeah. Well, they've never. I mean, they've always worked together professionally, but they've never really been like close as friends that's why they always i don't know how much you know about the early days but they always paired off when writing they never wrote as a group like they'd always pair off with the with the one they could stand the most out of the rest of the group you know the one they didn't all the way hate and gilliam was just kind of off doing his cartoons like that's kind of how it works But yeah, it's, it was. I think it hey was. Man, I remember, Fleetwood Mac made rumors, and they all fucking hated each other. So they sure did. Something man. To be said for that. Great art can come out of contention. Yeah, I mean, Monty we only Python pretend to be friends. We that. we only pretend to be friends. We hate each other's guts outside of the podcast. You but, should you, know. you should see some of the looks Stephen gives me when I say some <laughs> dumb shit on this podcast. Like I feel like this boy's gonna jump through the screen and kill me, dude. There have been times when I have been tempted. I <laughs> will not lie. Looks. There have been looks. If guys. looks could kill, I would have murdered you so many times. Um, That's true. That's true. <laughs> now nah, we friends. We friends, though. It's all good. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's my history with it. Uh, you want to, you want to, uh, you know, we haven't checked out the Canadian Quarter of Indifference recently. Do, do you want to use it instead of the Coin of Justice? Do you know why? I just remembered why. It's because we have the Coin of Justice. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you can use. The, I mean, this is your show. No, you can use the Canadian no, Court of no, Indifference. No, 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 no. I look. I only spent a quarter on this Canadian Quarter of Indifference. The uh, the Coin of Justice. Oh, I know how much it costs because the invoice came with the with the a, coin. A purchase. I'm not complaining at all because it was worth it. I'm just saying that one only cost me a quarter. We using the Coin of Justice. Okay. We're getting right. our money's worth out of this one, Steven. I don't even know. Like, this is a uh, a justice silver dollar. It's all silver, dude. It's like it is, Norwegian it is, or some shit. It is a pound sterling. So it is literally a pound. On one side, it's got, a, it says a Gibraltar. So maybe it's a Gibraltar. Yeah, pound. same thing. Same thing. Um, but yeah, nine. it's a troy ounce, 999 fine silver, 2021 minted. Uh, it's got the Gibraltar crest on the back. It's got Lady Justice on the other side. So it is literally the coin of justice. It is Lady quite Just- legitimately the coin of justice. Lady Justice's heads. The Gibraltar crest is tails. Uh, why are we talking about the coin of justice? Well, because it's time for the plot in 60 seconds. That's the part of the show where we recount the plot of the film we're discussing. In this case, 1989's parents in 60 seconds or less. The coin will determine which of us, Tucker or myself, will be recounting that plot. Tucker, I'm going to flip the coin of justice. You call it in the air. Okay. Heads. And it is heads, you motherfucker. Yeah. Hey, you can do it, Steven. I believe in you. That means you have to put 60 seconds on the clock. Oh, yeah, I do. You know what I forgot to mention during um, 
what are we watching? No. Even though that's a that's a that's behind the paywall, you guys. Uh, Patreon.com slash disenfranchpod if you're interested in that. Uh, we were talking about um, Hey Vern, it's Ernest, mm-hmm. the TV show. And I was going to ask you if that's a blind spot in your, your TV show theme ability. Um, yes, it is. Okay. Well, learn that one, because when we get to the Existo episode, I'm going to need you to do it. On okay, air, so I can figure you it out. Pre- you don't have to, but I'd appreciate it. No, I'll figure it out. Okay. Yeah. For some reason, this is a very stupid, silly skill that I have that I do. Um, I if you if you listen to my, the episode that I if you want to listen to myself and uh, friends of the show, Hope Lichner and Beck Stow talk about um, uh, a single episode of DuckTales and every tangent that comes into our heads for two hours and like. 40 minutes or so, but also hear me sing a lot of Disney afternoon theme songs, um, or at least recite them. Check out the episode of high on cartoons that I did, uh, for the, uh, season one DuckTales episode, uh, the first appearance of gizmo duck. Uh, and I forget the name of that episode, but yeah, I got, 60 seconds on the clock, Steven. Whenever you're ready, you just start talking and I'll hit the button. You're going to give me the 30 and 10 second warnings, right? Maybe. I feel like it, bitch. I might. You fucking better. Sure, maybe. Okay, start talking, Steven, so I can start this timer. Anyway, Michael's a kid from the 1950s, uh, and uh, he apparently really likes the dark. Um, His parents are very normal 50s parents, but they've just moved from Massachusetts. Michael doesn't like it, and he's not eating meat because his parents have only been providing, uh, have been feeding him leftovers, but not really telling him what it's leftover from since they moved. So he's not really been eating anything, which kind of worries his parents. Plus, his teachers are really freaked out because he's painting pictures of blood. Um, and is really freaked out by like pictures of parents getting into bed. Turns out he saw his parents seconds. doing something, but we don't really know what it was until later. We eventually figure it out. He, he, we think he walked in on his parents fucking, but no, he walked in on his parents fucking while eating human remains. Uh, and there's this question whether or not they're actually eating people or not. Turns out they actually are. Um, and so he, um, yeah. His parents kill his guidance counselor. Um, He escapes his parents, lives with his grandparents, uh, kills his parents, actually, escapes to his grandparents, and they are also probably cannibals as well. That's time. Good job, Stephen. Yeah. You left some things out, but you hit the broad strokes. No, I I, I, I more or less did it. I more or less got the big the big the big picture there. The only thing I would have changed is I would have mentioned uh, the boss's daughter. I would have mentioned that. Well, then you should have called Tails. Well, no, I'm saying what you did was great, but also here's my critique. Like, you're welcome. You should be so lucky, Steven. Should yes. I? Should I, though? Yes, yes. Golly, Duke. So, gosh, Steven, what a movie. What a what a wild, what a wild ride. It's pretty wild. It's a pretty wild picture. Wild. Wild. Um, so what's your what's your standout performance here? Who's uh, your favorite? Weirdly, it's it's Quaid. Like, yeah. He's Quaid, disturbing without he, he and he's not even like being disturbing. Yeah. But just his delivery. That's and that's the thing about the atmosphere, Quaid. the music, like it all comes together. That's the thing about Quaid that I find has always kind of worked to his favor is there always seems to be a maniac just behind those eyes. Turns out it's because there really was one. Yeah. Um, but like that has that was his entire comedic energy. 
for a, for a long time like that that is cousin eddie because cousin eddie is a maniac a little more obvious of one like it's what makes his character the the, the drunk asshole in independence day it's what makes that guy so effective oh i love um, him in that but you also believe that, that he character. loves his kids man yeah and you got that like that discount character. keanu reeves playing his eldest son um yeah. but like yeah like but but again he's crazy in that movie that's the point of that character is he's unhinged and he's a different kind of unhinged like there's a there is an unhinged energy to quaid that i think is really pivotal to his on-screen persona in a way that it isn't for a lot of other people and again it turns out it's because he's actually unhinged um like it, i mean in 2010 they like 2009 he gets arrested for defrauding an innkeeper in santa barbara by using an invalid credit card to pay a ten thousand dollar bill uh in september of 2010 they're charged with burglary um be, they occupied a a guest house of a vacant home that they used to own um they moved to vancouver to seek asylum uh at one point i think they even like released a sex tape to try to pay for nice. their legal fees. Um, and of course, pay the bills. and of course now he is just a, a loud and proud Trump supporter as well. Um, so, I mean, you know, shouting about the election fraud and, and all this shit. So like he is, he's clearly gone off the deep end since then, but like it's, I think, oh, I think, I think I remembered something about the Randy Quaid sex tape. I think he has his wife wear a mask of his face during the sex tape. And so it looks like the government is fucking him. Is Randy Quaid, Randy Quaid, damn you. You have so many good ideas. You just, you just don't know how to express them. That's fantastic. I love that. (laughs) I, I, well, we know what Tucker's doing That's after great. this recording. He's watching the Randy Quaid no, sex tape. Nope. No, I have no interest in it, but I think that's fantastic. I love um, that an- analogy, I guess you would say, you know. Yeah. Like, so fun. he's trying to do something like with him, it. but also, wow, right. man, that sucks because, I mean, I think he is talented to an extent. I mean, see this movie, mm-hmm. you know, um, but it just sucks that he's he's kind of. I don't know if he's always been this way, but it seems like he's kind of gone off the deep end. It it feels like it feels like at his best, he's able to harness that thing, which makes him seem so over the top and crazy. Uh, and maybe it was his actual craziness kind of beckoning at the door. Like it feels difficult to dissociate those two now, but like that was kind of always his, he had this kind of chaotic energy, even on SNL, he had this kind of chaotic mm-hmm. energy to him. Um, but he was part of one of the worst casts in the show's history. But, you know, <laughs> do with that what you will. It's like, hey, that's somebody's cast, I'm sure. I don't know who. I'm but sure. Yeah. Somebody's cast. Yeah, I think that was the one with like him and Joan Cusack, Anthony Michael Hall, um, Robert Downey Jr. Robert was Downey in that Jr., cast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like that's that everybody, cast. Everybody who famously lasted like one season. Yeah. I think John Lovitz is the only one and maybe Dennis Miller are the two that did come out of that cast. Did you already say Anthony Michael Hall? Because I did. let's not forget yeah. Anthony no. Michael Hall. I said Anthony Michael Hall. I think he was you were in just... Wait, 
didn't we watch something with him in it recently? Did we? I don't Did we? think so. You might have done. No, it was bodied. It was bodied. He was okay. bodied. That's what it was. I'm going. I, that's going to be on next week's. What? Uh, what are we watching? Because I need to look at that again. I, I was so impressed with it the first time, and now I own it, so I need to watch that Blu-ray that I got. Okay. I'm really excited to watch it again. Yeah. No. I can't wait we... for you to see it. Actually, I can't wait for us to. I don't know when we're going to cover it, but I can't wait until we do. It's on the calendar, dude. Fuck yeah. Well, it's I'll on the calendar. Take a look and see. So yeah. Um, but yeah, so there you go. Um, but no, um, no, I, but again, I feel like even at his best, that's, that's that chaotic energy that's coming through. And I think what makes this performance so interesting, and this is a fairly, a comparatively early performance for him. This is post vacation. Well, and this is a very restrained, even in the parts where you could have forgiven him for getting a little crazy with it he doesn't that whole right. final scene he's still just lumbering towards him you know mm-hmm. he never he never it never feels like his heart rate goes up you this, know what i this, mean this movie comes and out makes the it same even creepier. year as christmas vacation comes out the same year as christmas vacation um so this is after the original vacation this is after his tenure on snl i'm pretty sure um like it's after Midnight Express, uh, it's after the Long Riders, the um, uh, the Walter Hill movie where he he and his brother Dennis play actual brothers. Oh, um, you love Dennis Quaid. I think he's all right. Um, no. Oh, it's done, Kevin Costner. You hate that's who. I, it is. Yeah, I abhor Kevin Costner. Um, he's done a run he's of Peter Bogdanovich line. movies, Last Picture Show, What's Up Doc, mm-hmm. Paper Moon, like. He he starts off with this like real the last detail the Jack Nicholson film like he starts with this really promising career and then he starts, starts out as an actor's actor he he really of. does and then with Vacation and it is Vacation in 1983 he starts to slip into um into the comedy zone and starts to lean more and more into that so that by the time he does like Brokeback Mountain in 2005. Yeah. Um, that feels like, or the ice harvest that same year, that feels like a weird, like, wow, Randy Quaid's doing dramas. That's weird. Um, but that's ice where harvest he got really good, start. by the way. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but it's really good. It's been a long time. It's another Billy Bob, another Billy Bob movie directed mm. by, uh, Harold Ramis. Okay. I think that's one, one of the, that's one of the few Harold Ramis films I have not seen. That's your... I, your Harold Ramis blind spot. It's one of them. It's one of them. It's really good. I saw it when it came out. I rented it from Blockbuster and I I was really impressed. It's ice harvest. And it's um, weirdly the analyze this and that movies I've not seen. And Stuart saves his family. I also haven't seen seen analyze this or that. Yeah. I've not seen either. What? You would like those. You would like, I probably would. I probably should watch those. I've also not seen Club That's Paradise. Peak Billy Crystal. Peak. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen Club Paradise either. <clears throat> so I have seen Caddyshack, Vacation, Groundhog Day, Multiplicity, Bedazzled, and Ooh, bedazzled. Re- regrettably, Year One. Oh, I liked Year One. Oh, you're the one. Okay. I think I do. I still have. 
That movie sucked out loud, dude. No, you're crazy. I thought no. it was funny. David Cross was hilarious in that. Sure. That's but kidding. one good performance does not a good Rudd. movie make. Him and Paul Rudd. No, all, I think I think it's hilarious. The jokes landed for me is what I'm going to say. I've I've heard about the making of that film. Uh, I used to have the DVD, so I've listened to the commentary, watched all the behind the scenes and stuff, and I I don't give a fuck. I I have a really good time with that movie. I think it's really funny. That's I fun. get like it's not it's definitely not for everybody because it's kind of it's a mixture of two schools of comedy that admittedly do not mix very well. Right. But I'm a fan of both of them, so I just have a good time through the whole thing. Okay. Yeah. I'm I am I am legitimately glad that you enjoyed it. I yeah. I did not. I get why you didn't because it's me and like five other people that liked that movie. Yeah. Yeah, not a not a mm, no. I don't love it. I I don't think it's great. It's just I had fun with it. I used to own it and I wish I still did cuz it's probably streaming somewhere. Oh, it'll probably be on next week's what are we watching? You know something I haven't watched I, it in a few years. You know something I really love Harold Ramis in though. Speaking of like late stage Harold Ramis in terms of acting. Yeah. What's that? Orange County. Yes, dude. Yes, that movie dude. Is significantly with little, with little Colin Hanks and yeah. little Jack Black. That movie I is like so movie. underrated, but like it's, he he takes speed and gets like really it just starts being ridiculous and he's so look, funny in that movie. It's not it's not a lot of a movie. It's kind of a nothing of a movie. It but is. It's really fun and it's really well done and you can tell everybody's having a great time. It's just it feels good. I wouldn't say mm-hmm. it's a feel good movie, but it feels good to watch that movie. It's fun. Like it's got a lot of great performance. I think Catherine O'Hara and John Lithgow. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. You've got Kevin Klein, Harold Ramis. Um, Putting Jack Black exactly where he should be at that time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right where he fits. Right where he fits. And he's, he is excellent in it as well. Um, you've got Sissy Spacek's daughter um, in oh, there yeah, playing yeah. the romantic lead for Colin Hanks. Like it's, it's it's a fucking good little movie. Underrated really little gem, I would say. Is yeah, I'd County. say stream it. Stream it. If you find yeah. it, stream it. If you find it, stream it. Uh, I'll check and see if it's available anywhere right now. I saw that at the movie theater. I think Orange because of Jack Black. Yeah, because I saw... When I saw... I, I knew Jack Black from Cable Guy. Uh, but okay. when I saw him in um, High Fidelity, I was like, this. I'm, I want to watch things with this guy in it. So when Orange County came out, mm-hmm. I went to see it. And like I think it's really solid. It's if you solid have a game. qualifying library card, Orange County is currently available to stream on Hoopla. Check it out. Check, Check it out. out. Check it out. Um, it's yeah, it's it's fun. I've not seen it in years, so I don't know if it still holds up, but I remember like standing that movie for for a hot minute when I was when I was young, I think I caught it on like one of those like free weekends on like HBO or Showtime or something. And then um, liked it so much that when I found it on a discount bin at a video store that was going out of business, I just grabbed the DVD. And I think I have since lost or gotten rid of it, which I am kind of bummed about because that movie I was. I don't fun. think I don't think I have my copy either. LMNO. Nope. On the waterfront. And then nope. On nope. the waterfront. What a fucking masterpiece that is. You know what's funny about what's fun about my DVD collection here? On the waterfront is right next to the uh mid nineties Lance Bass vehicle 
on the line. On the line. God, I remember. Is that right the one that you did with to... Joey Fatone? Uh, Joey Fatone is in it, but uh, the big star power is Emmanuel Shrieky, the that one gal. Yes, who She's would go it. on to be an entourage. Yes. Um, so that's that's what I love about my movie collection is that can sit right next to on the waterfront and all is well, all is sure. well in the world. All is well. There was a, there was a big push in the early two thousands to get pop stars in movies. Uh, Cause you get on the line, you get from Justin to Kelly. I do be um, working sometimes though. Sometimes not as often as they really wanted it to in the early 2000s. You know, and I don't think that's a a difficult leap to make. I mean, like in your brain, if you're like a Hollywood person, like because a lot of really effective pop stars or even, I mean, of any genre, Mm -hmm. like you have to be able to perform a certain amount yeah. to be that good, to be that revered, to sell that many fucking records. They are so there's a performer right. in there. And I think most of the time it's a pretty safe bet. Uh, Crossroads, the Britney Spears movie was another one of those. Not the Ralph Macchio one. Right. Future Correct. episode of this podcast, Crossroads. Oh, fuck. Ralph, Is Macchio, it really? Ralph Macchio guitar movie. It's a guitar boy movie. It's one of those movies that if you're not a guitar player, you're not going to like it, probably. Oh, cool. I look forward to not liking that movie. Weedly, weedly, wee. Weedly, 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 wee. Weedly, wee. Yeah. That's speaking of Walter Hill, right? Didn't he direct that, Crossroads? Oh, did he? Fuck. I believe so. I stopped watching Walter Hill right before I got to a future episode of this podcast, Streets of Fire. Pretty sure he did. Yeah, Walter Hill. Right on. I I do yeah. I do I do uh, Walter Hill. Joe man. Morton. Joe Morton in that bitch, dude. Oh, Robert I do, Judd. I, I do fucking love Joe Morton. I man. think you know, I, I I take it back. Like Crossroads isn't for everybody, but it is a, a good enough movie. And for guitar boys, it's it's I mean, every like profession or hobby has that movie where it's it's for them specifically. And Crossroads is a guitar boy movie. It just happens to also be a pretty decent, an okay movie. Otherwise, okay. can't but wait no, to talk I, about it. I dig Walter Hill streets of we're going to cover his movie streets of fire too, which is a hundred per that was a God. That was a failed franchise starter and a half was streets of fire. <laughs> yes. And you know what? I think we can take the film. He Alan Smithied and watch it as well. What was the name of the, uh, was that supernova? I think that was super Walter Hill. Yeah. I don't know about this. Supernova to came out in 2000. Uh, he, it is credited as Thomas Lee because he, he hated the cut that the studio put out so much. He took his name off of it. Nice. Yeah. Good job. Walter Hill. You did so it. There you go, fucking did it. There's there were, now, we're one movie away from a Walter Hill theme. Oh, fucking the warriors. Okay. There we go. There's there our is. Walter Hill theme month. Nerf. We did it everybody. And the warriors can be the last. And then the, the, well, no, oh, no, we go chronologically. Go. Warriors has to go first. Well, I had a reason for Warriors to go last, but the movie I was thinking of has like four sequels. So like mm. I didn't think hard enough about it. Um, <clears throat> but can we talk about Mary Beth Hurt for a minute? Yeah, let's because do it. even though I think everybody in this movie is it, despite their level of experience is bringing it mm. and 
like uh, uh, I guess chewing the scenery. Everybody's doing a great job. I think more like Mary chewing Beth the Hurt, crops, but yeah. I think Mary Beth Hurt is the glue of this movie. Um, she connects all parts of this movie. She is the anti-hero, really, of this movie because she's eating people, obviously. But you can tell just from her performance and the way that she interacts with Michael, she's not all the way like his father. Mm -hmm. Like, she's not like an emotionless killer. I think like that comes through in particular in the in that last scene. Like it, it's it, there are pieces of it there, but I think it really comes through in that final showdown. Because she's sure. willing to like like yeah, hooray family. But when it comes down to it, if you're making me pick between Michael and you, mm -hmm. get a knife in the fucking back. Yeah, That's all there is to it. Yeah, I think I really do think she's the glue that holds not so much holds the movie together because, like I said, this movie's a whole mood. Like everything that works well for this movie does so in a way that's so it works so well with everything else that's happening that it does. It creates this world. And I, but I would say that she's the glue that keeps the dynamic of the performances, especially the three main performances mm. together. I think the other two performances benefit from her performance. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. I'm just saying that Mary Beth Hurt is the shit. So underrated. Big fan. Mary Beth, that's, a, that's another one where I'll just, if I see a movie and I'm like, oh, this looks interesting. Like, who's in it? Oh, Mary Beth Hurt? Okay, watch immediately. Turn that sucker on right now. Big I love fan. that the, the family's last name is Lemley after, presumably after Carl Lemley Jr., the guy <laughs> who did the universal monster movies. Um, like that's pretty fun. I like that. Yeah. I like that too. I love there's the part in this movie where, uh, Randy Quaid's character <clears throat> falls down the steps. I mm -hmm. think this is the best example of the film firing all cylinders and every part of the filmmaking process working exactly as intended. When he falls down those steps, uh, the frame rate drops. Mm. Uh, it's not necessarily slow-mo. Right. It's just the, the frame rate drops. It's more like a series of photographs mm -hmm. than it is film. And the music goes right along with it. But the sound, the ambient sound from the film does not stop. So it's not truly like, I don't know how to describe that, but that's that's the best example of why this movie works for me. Is because when the sound design is taking into consideration the music, which mm -hmm. is taking into consideration the cinematography, which is taking into consideration the acting, and they're all thinking about what the other one is doing. Mm-hmm. And they're coming together and just making something like you've never seen before, but you don't always recognize it because it works so well. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, it does. I mean, I feel like Balaban is someone who gets it. Like he, he, he's been, he's been one of the great that guy actors for so long. Like he's a Christopher guest 
mainstay, which is... now he's the wormy guy in every Wes Anderson movie. Like yeah. the wormy guy with glasses in every Wes Anderson movie. As opposed to being the wormy guy with glasses in every Christopher Guest. In every movie. Christopher like, Guest, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like he was one of the, I mean, that's where I mostly know him is is from his Christopher Guest work. But even before mm-hmm. that, like he was a guy who shot he's incredible in fucking Midnight Cowboy. Um, oh yeah. Yes. Like in a very small but very um like important he's role there yeah like that you movie. remember that you remember yeah. him in that fucking it's, movie it is it is an incredible scene and he is kind of incredible in it um but like he's he's just been around and doing this stuff for so long and this is his first film that he ever directed i think he had directed if i'm not mistaken he had done like some television directing he directed a couple tv movies before this he did but the, this the- is I'm going to say the one he directed before this, I believe, was either TV or direct to video. Um, hang on, I'm looking at his acting right now. Let me switch over to his directing stuff here. Give me a second. <clears throat> um, he His first directorial credit, he does the TV movie The Brass Ring. And then an episode, uh, he does an episode of Tales from the Dark Side, Amazing Stories, and a TV short called Invisible Thread. And then Parents. So he's directed two TV episodes, a TV short and a TV movie before this. And then after this, in between this and his next film, he does three episodes of eerie, Indiana, uh, disenfranchised podcast favorite. Um, yeah. he, and then he only directs a handful a of, lot of those after anthology that. shows though. Yeah. Like if you look at his entire filmography, he's every time there's a, a horror anthology show, he's got to direct a couple episodes. Like mm-hmm. even the early two thousands reboot of twilight zone. He directed an episode of strangers with candy. He directed an episode of Oz. Um, he, he directs a movie called the last good time, uh, which I've never heard of after my boyfriend's back. That one's got uh, Armin Mueller Stahl and Olivia Dabo in it. Uh, Maureen Stapleton as well from Reds. Great, great actress. Um, and then he does only a couple movies after that. Like he's got a Twilight Zone in here. The TV movie, The Exonerated, based on the play. Uh, the movie Bernard and Doris, uh, which I have never heard of. That looks I like a TV movie. Is, yeah. Um the story of a twilight years of tobacco billionaires, Doris Duke and her relationship with her gay Butler to whom she left her entire fortune. Uh, Susan. Oh, yeah, I want to see that. Fiennes. Yeah. I want to um, see that for sure. Looks, looks pretty good. Um, and then, like yeah. Um, and, and like, that's kind of, he did a TV movie on Georgia O'Keefe, but like he does, I think three, theatrically released films and then everything else is pretty much tv or streaming like it's and it's he kind of doesn't really get the chance to stand out that way that that much again his filmography as a director for me um his first two films impressed me so much not only because they're both so good at what they do but what they do is so different steven when you see my boyfriend's back, like watch that back to back with parents. And boy, that's a fucking shock to the system because mm. they are so, so different, like the most different that you could possibly be and still be in basically the same genre. I think so what different it, tone. I think, the style is different. Fantastic. I, I think what impresses me most about this is the style, like the filmmaking style is there. Like, 
particularly looking at some of the other movies that I watched this week, like he's pulling a lot from like, in terms of like the lighting, he's pulling a lot. And the, the, the fact that everything is, everything within the house at least is very clearly filmed on a set. Um, he's, he's channeling like a lot of the expressionist filmmaking. Um, well, I think he's got a lot of sitcom influence in there too. That with some but, of the yeah, shots right. and some of the lighting as well. Yeah. I would. Yeah. And I mean, he's also borrowing from a lot of fifties media, but then the camera at certain points just gets so kinetic and so frenetic. Like there's that scene where they find the dead body in the basement uh, him and him and Sandy Dennis, Miss Do, the social worker, mm-hmm. and she screams, and we zoom out from her it, mouth. Yes, oh and it man, just, it it, it, it pulls back, that. pulls back, pulls back, pulls back, goes like through the grate, through the wall, and then pivots, rotates 180 degrees, keeps going in the same direction, and goes up through the roof, and then you get like this kind of bird's eye of the house. It's this incredible kinetic, and it looks totally like a oneer. It's obviously not, but it looks very well. Much there's like some a cuts one-er. in there, yeah, but that's right. very much like a Sam Raimi turned up to eleven. It kind sort of, of thing, yeah, right there. It's it's a hundred percent a Raimi cam shot. Like it's really like he's out Raimiing Raimi on that one, honestly. But he. But again, he, he's like collecting these influences and using them in a way that, I don't know, I, it may, it kind of makes me wish that other elements of this were a little, were a little more in tune to what that is. Like, I, I, I understand what you're saying. It just, I don't think it coalesces for me in the same way that it does for you. Like, I don't get the cohesiveness in this one that you do. Like, I don't see... What? the ways in which it all fits together. There are moments when I think it does and it works really well. Uh, like there's some shining shit going on with the scene in the, in the, the, the pantry when the, uh, when the uh, guidance counselor gets killed in the pantry, like there's some shining oh, shit going on in there. The, the worst, scene where the she grabs thing, the knife and that like the worst thing you can show and, me in a horror movie is someone grabbing a knife. My partner on literally, the sharp edge. My partner literally. Oh my God. Oh, at that. Oh. I can't yeah. look. I can't like can't look. No. I've seen it a million times. But this time I was like, I don't I, look. I've seen it. I don't need to. I can just yeah. come my eyes. Not a big deal. She she I've seen it. It's not like I haven't seen it. Right. I'm totally she, tough. She recoiled at that. Like she was just like, I can't. <laughs> I can't do this. Oh wow! Ooh, woo! Ouchie, yeah. blah blah. Mm-hmm. Nope, 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 nope. Like, uh, well, see, I think the reason <clears throat> that it works a little better for me, Stephen, is uh, I think, I think it just uh, it has at least somewhat to do with when we saw it in our our film journey. Potentially, like I said, this is the first weird movie I've seen. This like Lynch to me is Balababian. You know what I mean? Balabadian? Yes, like everything in this movie that's an influence from something else, I saw this first. Mm. This was my introduction to anything that he's doing that's influenced by something. I hadn't even seen Evil Dead at this point, Stephen. Okay. Like this was one of the first, this is one of the first like really out there movies that I ever, this is kind of maybe influenced my journey. This might have been, not only was it the first weird movie, I kind of found on my own, but it's the one that made me realize that I kind of like movies that are a little different. You know, 
interestingly, you bring up Lynch. This movie comes out the same year, or I guess, no, it's a few years after. I was uh, sorry. I, I miss, I misread the timeline a few years after blue velvet, but both are mm-hmm. these kind of like weird suburban set fifties influenced pictures. Um, yeah that are that have this kind of bizarre surrealistic quality to them uh and then but it also felt very at least in terms of just the overall aesthetic of the thing felt very john waters to me because john waters is also cribbing mm-hmm. from those 50s references which is why i thought like this would be a really good double feature with serial mom um yeah. i think serial mom leans into the camp a little more because john waters but like yeah it's um yeah i don't know the thing about serial mom is that it's pretty much all camp and that's the surface level part of it but serial mom really the more you watch it kind of the the more you get past the surface level stuff and you realize like i was having a good time with this before and i can still have a good time with this but also this is kind of fucked up Mm mm-hmm like the more you start thinking about what's happening in the film and what the characters are going through and how her actions are affecting them, like it's a great time, but there are layers like mm-hmm. John Waters movies are onions, dude. Yeah. And they don't come pre peeled. Like you got to peel that shit yourself. That's why we love John Waters. Yeah, dude. One of many reasons yet, why we love John Waters. Serial mom is definitely an onion in, in that way. Because, gosh, it's a lot of fun. But, like, there are a lot of different ways you can experience that movie. Just just by, like, the context with which you frame it in your mind. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, it's a really, it's kind of a choose your own adventure movie. You just have to, if you've seen it before, you know, you can just kind of choose, well, am I going to have fun with this? Am I going to think about how fucked up it is? Like, what am I, how am I going to experience this? Right. It's really fun. I love that. I have that Blu-ray. I love that fucking movie. When are we yeah. going to cover that? We're going to put that on straight up? We can do it straight up. Let's do it straight we can up. We do it on straight up. Straight you up. want to put it on straight up, man? Put it on straight up. Straight up. Straight, straight up. up. Little fucking, uh, what's his nuts? Um, do, 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 do. <laughs> Matthew Lillard in that bitch. Ricky Lake, yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah. Like, Ricky Lake, of course. Can you, can you have a John Waters without a Ricky Lake? Like, I'll tell you who you can't have a John Waters without is Mink Stoll, who's totally in that. Tracy sure. Lords also in there. Of course. <laughs> Again, another John Waters mainstay. Of Suzanne course, Summers, think... uh, R.I.P. Oh, nice. she is in that movie. She is great in that. She has a. It's a very small. It's very Bob Balaban in Midnight Cowboy. Suzanne yep. Summers is serial mom. Check it out. Like it's fucking, memorable. Fucking Patty Hearst is in that bitch. Well, yeah. You Again, gotta put. Another... I mean, John Waters got to put. I mean, it's Patty Hearst. Yeah. Like who cares? Can she act or not? That's up for debate. But if you know, like, if you know her story, it's just cool that she's there. Yeah, honestly, I mean, like, that's Waters. Rad. What's What's phenomenal is that Waters uh, became really good friends with like Squeaky Frome, um, Manson family member, and uh, would be presidential assassin mm-hmm. Squeaky Frome, and like really like advocated for her release from prison. And really wanted to like work with her. He was like, if she had grown up in Baltimore, she would have just been making movies with us. Like she never would have gotten involved with Manson. She would have just been part of our crew. Um, well, that's like kind he, of the whole, that's the kind of people that cults bring in are people who are just looking for a community. 
Right. You know? And, but I mean, that's his, his whole deal is like, you know, we're, we're just this ragtag group of misfits and they were a ragtag group of misfits. And the fact that she found them instead of us is, was, I think to him, a great tragedy. Uh, and really for all of us. And see, that's what I appreciate. That's why I appreciate Cecil B. Demented so much. And not a lot of people who mention John Waters mention Cecil B. Demented. It's, it's kind of one of his more underrated films, but it feels like a love letter to his crew, that movie, like to the people mm-hmm. that have stuck with him. That's the movie that he made for them with them and for them. Right. Because it is all about community and coming together to make very art, much, you yeah, know, even much. though, even though the main characters are villainous, like it's all about coming together yeah. to fucking make art. Yes. Yeah. They're ter- fucking love that movie why don't people like that i think sammy likes that movie i think he does i I need to i need to give it a rewatch i need to watch more john waters i'm just really i don't really want to do pink flamingos like that's the one i just that used to be want to do that used to be my pump up music for the podcast while i was sitting wait for you yeah uh when i'd sign into zencaster i'd listen to demented forever it's not surprising even a little bit from Cecil B. Demented, yeah. Ooh, that song slaps, dude. Yes. But no, I, I want I need to engage with more uh with more John Waters. I just You I, don't I, have to watch Pink Flamingos, Steven. You I don't, don't have think, to watch anything you're not comfortable with there, that's not required. John like, Waters I'm, understands. He would even tell you, I've I've been in the same room as this man, and I guarantee you he would say it's okay, you don't have to watch Pink Flamingos Flamingos if you don't feel comfortable watching it. Maybe I'll watch it right up to the end and then I'll turn it off right before the dog does his thing. I mean, you know what happens. I know exactly what happens. I don't want to, I don't need to see it. I don't want to see it. Like there's a certain point to where I kind of skip John Waters too, just because like I could watch that when I was a kid and have a good time, but now I just, I just, I don't have fun with it. Like I get it. And I let, I think even John Waters has aged out of some of that stuff too. Yeah. It's not for me. Like it's kind of, yeah, but. there's a chance I've been in the same city as John Waters. I've just I I didn't run into him when I was there because he summers in P Town, and both times I've been to the Cape, I went to P Town in the summer, so yeah. potentially could have run into him, but didn't. I saw I saw him speak. I saw him speak at a convention. I sat nice. on the floor in the back of the room because it was so packed in there. Everybody, I was going to say, yeah, John Waters. Fuck yeah, he uh, that that's a guy who's got fantastic. stories. It's great. Like that's mm-hmm. that's a guy you could just sit and listen to for forever. Well, but no. he talked he talked for about two hours, but I think anybody in that room could have sat there for another two or three hours to listen to him talk. Yeah, but I think, and again, to to kind of tie it back to parents, I think that Balaban is is kind of cribbing from a lot of different sources here, and really kind of merging the. He's cribbing from Waters. He's cribbing from Ramy. He's cribbing from Lynch. Like he's he's taking the elements that I think fit what he wants to do. And using them to his advantage, I just it it doesn't feel like the recipe's quite right for me. Like I get it and I appreciate it, but I just I don't it feels a little underdone for me. For me. Yeah. It, it doesn't quite come out the way I want it to. I can dig it. I can dig it. Uh the people that I've shown this movie to, like I said, no one has outright hated it. But the the issues with it seem to be that it it people say that it kind of leans a little too 
heavily on its influences without doing anything different enough to to matter which mm-hmm. like i said that's a that's a matter of context because like I said, this is the first one i saw like, everything that he's pulling from i didn't see until after i saw this movie so that right. could be contextual for me mm-hmm. i don't know uh so you're you're um what you say about this film is common from what i hear about people that are just kind of like it's fine you know it's okay all right yeah, I mean, in, I like I, I I went in with the as open a mind as I could, um, and again, there are things I really dig. Like I dig the style. I dig, I dig what he's trying to do. I just it doesn't feel like it 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 doesn't feel like it coalesced quite the way I needed it to, in order yeah. for me to to come because again, it feels like it wants to be a comedy but doesn't really ever land the jokes. Like the the humor just doesn't ever quite get there. When you're like, well, you never saw it that way, which makes me scratch my head because I'm like, well, then what the fuck was I look? What the fuck movie was I watching? Like, that's kind of where I end up landing on this is I was like, this feels, I don't know. It feels, feels, feels like I'm missing something then maybe, but yeah, I don't maybe know. It's just I didn't have it loud enough. I mean, the score, like I say, it's a whole mood. Like, and that's, it's, I wish that this were popular enough to get because they re-release everything now. It's so easy because it's all digital. Mm-hmm. I would, I would go see this, the movie theater in a heartbeat to have a dark theater with a modern sound system playing this film. This I, well, oh my God, because like I say, in the right conditions, this movie will, will take you into itself. Mm-hmm. Because as I said before, I think everything that works well in this movie works well because it plays off everything else. Right. Like I say, the sound is playing off of the score. The score is playing off the cinematography. Cinematography is playing off the acting. It's mm-hmm. all, it all works together. The chemistry between all the things that you, all the different people you have to put together a movie right. for me in this film, it works very, very well. And I think to really experience that the best is, would be in the movie theater and yeah. we really we need a good hd print of this i'd love to have a 4k because i don't know what um i think arrow is putting out the all the old vestron or it might be shout that's putting out all the vestron uh movies from the 80s which this was one of mm-hmm. um but i know they have a blu-ray uh which i have not looked at uh i hope there's a 4k though because um the digital version that I have, the HD version on Vudu, looks like fucking garbage. Mm. It looks awful, which works at sometimes because it's supposed to be grainy. Yeah, but it's more digital artifacts. Well, and the the cut the transfer on Tubi is more or less the same as well. I started watching it on oh, Tubi, that and it sucks. It, yeah, I might look. I'm gonna have to do some research on that Blu-ray that was released. I'd like. I want to wait for a 4K, but I just don't know if it's ever gonna happen. Sure. If uh, God told me to, got a 4K release. Also has Sandy Dennis, by the way. Um, so who knows? Who fucking knows? Nice. Yeah. I'd love to have a 4K of this, though, because you can tell, even with the shitty transfer that we get a streaming now, you can tell this is a movie that looks great on fucking film. And so the closest I can get to film is 4K. So let's, right. let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Let's fucking go.
I'd love to see a print of this, actually, a good print of this on film. That's I think that's my ultimate theater goal is to see this on film. Nice. <laughs> In a movie theater. I don't know if that, I don't think it's ever going to happen. But Probably not. No. I would love to. That would really check all my boxes, I think. Well, I, I hope it happens for you, man. I really do. Maybe one day it will. Maybe one day. Did this did this movie even like this came out in the movie theater, right? It, it, it sure did. This movie comes out January 27th, 1989. It opens at number 25. Right be, right between the 16th week of Pumpkinhead and the 10th week but, of Cocoon the Return. But how many theaters did it come out and I feel like that's 94. Yeah. See, that's I mean you got to you got to consider things like that. Right. I feel like I mean, this was a limited run. It was a small film, so... I was going to say, it, it only hits 94 theaters. So, like, it doesn't really hit. Not really. Yeah. Um, It hit the Keystone Arts. That's about it. About it, yeah. Which didn't exist at that time. But. Correct. <laughs> you know, yeah, that no, kind of I, theater. That's the kind right. of theater it hits. Yeah, the, the smaller, and artier... And back then, there were even less of those. Correct. So... Uh, it opens to two hundred and seventy-seven point nine million dollars or thousand dollars. Excuse me. I'm gonna say, wow, they did really well. Where's the sequel? Wow, no, thousand <laughs> thousand dollars. Excuse me. Uh, the domestic box office, the total domestic is eight hundred and seventy point five thousand. Uh, it gets an international box office of. But that's five, are you sure that's almost a million? Oh, thousand. Thousand eight hundred and seventy thousand. It almost made a million dollars, Stephen. Almost on a, a budget of. Let me just check my notes here. Three million dollars. Shut up, Stephen. Almost made a million dollars. Shut up. Um, it on a budget of uh three million. It makes less than a million internationally. It makes five hundred and eighty-one dollars. Uh, for a total domestic uh, worldwide or for total worldwide box office of $871,113 worldwide. Um, not a hit. Um, opening at number one this week was the Oscar winner from 1988. It is definitely, definitely, definitely a movie that a lot of us have seen and definitely one that probably hasn't aged super well. Uh, it's Dustin Hoffman and Tom Cruise in Rain Man. Uh, and number two, it's the opening weekend of a movie called Three Fugitives. Uh, what if there were three fugitives? Uh, that one's got uh, James Earl Jones, uh, Martin Short, Larry Miller, Nick Nolte, Alan Ruck, Bruce McGill. What a weird thing. Um. Lauren Schuler Donner produced it. I don't have any word on who directed it, though. That's bizarre. I've never heard What's of that. What's this one. called? What's this movie? Three Fugitives. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And the little kid is one of them. And one of them's a little kid. Yeah, Nick Nolte, Martin Short, and yeah, little kid. Yeah, it's uh, that's that. a yep. Francis Weber movie. Is who directed that's that, that girl from that other movie. It's the girl in that. Uh, the yeah. girl from the other movie. Yeah, sure. you know the other movie she was in that was cool. Sure. Yeah. Uh, we talking? What are we talking about? Who's the gal? What's her name? 
Um, her name is Sarah Roland Dora Dorif. And she, she was has... in a movie called, uh, wait, wait, it was called, um, we talked about this in our little monsters episode. It was called big girls. Don't cry. They get even. No, she's in, she has three credits to her name. Uh, this is the only film. She's also in a TV, an episode of a TV show called help in an episode uh, or H E L P. And uh, it's an acronym you see. And then an episode of a TV show called law and order. And that's all and an episode done. of my two dads. Nope. Oh, nope. Shit. literally just those three things. Remember that show? Your boy, Paul Reiser is in that. I do. Yeah. He's one of the two dads. girl from punk girl from step by step. step by She's step. like a lawyer now. She stopped Is acting she? after after Good being a teenager. Her. Yeah, she was like, ah, that was cool. But now I'm just going to go do something else I like to do. Uh, in third place is Beaches. Uh, Bette Midler, Barbara Hershey, Beaches. What if there were Beaches? What if there were Beaches? What if uh, Beaches existed? Uh, movie number four, future episode of this podcast, Twins. Ivan Reitman's hey. Twins, hey. Uh, down from number two the week before, but it's been in theaters for eight weeks. Has already grossed eighty six point five million dollars, uh, and in fifth place, uh, Mississippi Burning. Um, oh, I see that one coming. I feel like that is uh, that's one of those like really great. Uh, that's like Gene Hackman, Willem Dafoe, like yeah, that's a, but a good boomer movie, but that's a boomer movie for sure. Yeah, it is. Stephen Tobolowsky, Frankie Faison, Brad Dourif, Arlie Ermey, Francis McDormand, Michael Rooker, Tobin Bell. Yeah, what a fucking yeah. cast. Oh, man. It's such a good movie, too. Have you seen it, Steve? Have you seen Mr. Burns? I haven't. No, I need to. Holy shit. Your parents would like it. Watch it with your parents. <laughs> would they? They like it. Maybe. Sure, maybe. Sure, maybe. Uh, rounding out the top 10, you've got Working Girl at number six, The Naked Gun from the Files of Police Squad at number seven, The Accidental Tourist at number eight, uh, opening at number nine, Physical Evidence, and in 10th place, the classic Steve Martin, Michael Caine, Glenn Headley, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Wowzers. Uh, the Tomatometer score on parents is a 63%. Oh, so okay. respectable showing there. Yeah, uh, the meta score is a 66. Okay. And if you had to guess the letterbox score, what would you say? Uh, somewhere between a 2.8 and a 3.2. Wrong. It is 3.3. Oh, surprised me by a point, letterbox. Just but. outside. <laughs> Fuck letter box. Uh, Tucker out of. <laughs> hey, we're back so soon. Hey. <laughs> um, Tucker out of letterboxed. Out of five, <laughs> so I, did we do that on the main feed, or was that a uh, was that a Patreon conversation that we had? Man, I don't know, dude. I uh, know it was it was Patreon because that's where you you were looking at your list to see what movies you had watched because you was reviewing. Them. Oh, that's right, that's right. So yeah, that's that's a joke that only our patrons will learn about. Uh, a week from now, or I guess three Patreon. or four days from now. Patreon.com slash disenfranchpod. Um, Tucker, out of five stars, how do you rate 1989's parents? Look, this is a solid four for me. Solid, okay. solid, solid, solid. Because like I said, there are so many moments in this movie where every major force of filmmaking is working off of the other 
forces, creative forces in filmmaking. And it just ping pongs back and forth to the point to where I can't believe how good parts of this movie are. But I also understand why people have issues with it. Like if you're not, if, if, if it doesn't totally have you in its grip, Mm -hmm. it can feel a little boring. It can slog a bit. It can, it can kind of drag. I get it. Uh, So that's why it gets a four because it's, I feel like to be a perfect five stars, you should be able to have the best experience with it, no matter where you're watching it. But with parents, you kind of got to set the mood and let that motherfucker grab you. So four stars. Uh, it's a three for me. Uh, it's it's better Word. than just okay, but yeah. like it's not high enough that I'm really going to be like, oh yeah, of course, great, love this. Okay. So like it it just kind of it it falls just above fine for me. But um, no, it's again, and I appreciate what Balaban's trying to do. I just don't think it coalesces the way that I really want it to. Mm-hmm. So which I think is I've said way too many times in this episode already. So I'll, I'll stop there, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm at on 1989's parents. Now, can I ask you something, Stephen, before we go to our socials really quick? Sure. 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 Did you, um, you watched the, the cast credits Mm -hmm. in the credits, right? When they all came out, I know sometimes you have a tendency to sometimes like maybe turn it off right when it's over, which is fine. Not a big deal. No, so no, that's no, why no. I had to ask because I love that because it makes it it's such a dark movie. Mm-hmm. And to do that at the end makes it feel like a play. That's why that's why the little shop ending from the play doesn't work on film because right. you don't see them take a bow afterwards. That that's why I that's why they had to reshoot the ending and that's what Frank Oz said he realized is no I think they should have gone back and done like what they did in this movie or what they do in like Brewster McCloud or or Rooster McCloud or uh no it's Brewster. Brewster the um <laughs> it's something the, Fuck who the fucking the fucking Robert Altman movie Brewster McCloud. Yeah. Uh, or even predator like predator does yes. this too, where you're like this movie, like everyone fucking dies. Like you got to remember the early part of this movie where everyone was having a good time. And that's why you get like, whenever they had like downtime filming, I think everybody, but Arnold, they would say like, Hey, just like do your thing. Like, you know, give a thumbs up or, you know, spit your chaw, Jesse Ventura or, you know, smile. Or sometimes or sometimes you'll have like parts of the gag reel. When you do that, you'll have yeah. a goof up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love movies that end that way because no matter what happened in that Dogma movie, does that. it's like, yes, it's okay. It's okay because everybody's here. We're all having a good time. Mm-hmm. That was fucked up and we had a fucked up time and that was cool, but we're good now. Like everything's good. Yeah. I love they're holding, they're holding him up at the end and he's like, he's kind of like, <laughs> yeah, it's still weird and uncomfortable, but somehow yeah. wholesome, you know, which mirrors the scene at the beginning where they're in the car and they're like trying to get him to wave at the traffic guy. They're all, Yes. Waving at the guy with the traffic sign, letting the kids pass. And he's standing there just waving all the most awkward waves I've ever seen on film. Like it's bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that is straight up episode two on Taliban's parents. There it is. Go watch this movie, you guys. And let me know in whatever. You know what? Comments are cool, but there's so many podcatchers that we'd have to like comb over to find comments and stuff. Send us an email, disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought about parents. Go watch it. It's on Tubi. It's on my voodoo. You don't have access to my voodoo, I know, but if you got to know me well enough, you might. 
It it is on Tubi though. It do be on Tubi though. So definitely check that out. (laughs) Um, And look, we are, uh, we're the disenfranchised podcast. You can find us wherever you find your podcasts. Um, And while you're out there looking at us on those podcatchers, slip us a nice five-star rating and review. Uh, That really goes a long way to helping us find other uh, listeners like yourselves. And we think you're pretty cool. We'd probably think other people like you are pretty cool too. Uh, And if you do leave us a five-star rating and review, we'll read it here on the podcast. And if you send us an email, we'll probably read it on the podcast. So like we, we've got our, we, we look, we, we like to read what you write us basically is what I'm saying. So if you want to hear your voice read in either my dulcet tones or Tucker's um, shoot us an email and, uh, and, or leave us a review and we'll read your words back to you and to anyone else listening to this thing. Um, we've mentioned it several times throughout the episode, but if you want to support us uh, financially, uh, patreon.com slash disenfranchpod weekly episodes of a show we call, what are we watching? which we normally record right before the main feed episodes. Um, like, so those are like right away. Uh, we record They're staggered those. now too, because we've been mm-hmm. recording kind of in advance. So it's really interesting. The yeah. episodes are coming. The, what are we watching? are coming before the main feeds, which whereas normally they air after the main feed episode. So it's kind yeah. of an interesting dynamic going on right now. Yeah. So I think this one will line up pretty much the way it's supposed to, but like, like last week's lines up with next week's last week's. What are we watching? It lines up with this next week's uh, main feed episode. So yes. Yeah. So that'll be wild. That'll be a fun time. Um, But yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of where we're at right now. And uh, look, you can find us on the social media. We're on uh, Twitter. No, we're not on Twitter. Fuck Twitter. Uh, We're on on Instagram, Facebook, uh, letterboxd, uh, Blue Sky and YouTube at Disenfranch Pod. Find us there. Interact with us. Say hi. I will try to say hi back. Um, uh, you can also find me, your host, Stephen Foxworthy. Hi, on Blue Sky Letterboxd or Instagram at Chewy Walrus. Um, uh, Brett, our absent co-host, Brett Wright. We wish him a speedy return. Uh, you can find him on uh, Instagram, Blue Sky. Or uh, yeah, Instagram Blue Sky and Letterbox at sus underscore warlock. I think just sus warlock on Blue Sky because they don't like underscores. And Tucker, where can we find you on the socials these days? You can find me on YouTube and Instagram at ice909. That's I C E N I N E, the number zero and the number nine. Uh, you know, also I'm on Instagram with Tuck Mugs. Mm-hmm. We just had a guest mug. Uh, by the time this airs, the What Are We Watching episode with Sammy will have aired. And on that episode, mm-hmm. he takes a photo of his wine glass. And that photo has been recently used in a yeah. guest post on Tuck Mugs. The first ever live tuck mugs mm-hmm. photograph it's true when we're doing a thing it's pretty rad pretty yeah. pretty pretty rad it's up there check yeah. it uh tuck underscore mugs is where you want to go on instagram it's just a chill little corner of the internet i'm trying to put together a community of people who just want to like share mugs 
and glassware, uh, you know, pint glasses, scotch glasses, shot glasses, mugs, anything that you can drink out of. I don't give a fuck what it is. Come check out Tuck Mugs. Send us a guest mug. I will put up any guest mug as long as it fits the format. I don't give you a can fuck. Send, send us me your mugs. You can send us those uh, through DM on Instagram or shoot those over to disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Either way. Yeah, just DM Tuck underscore mugs if you got a submission. Make sure if you haven't checked out the page, though, check out the format just to make sure that you, you know, you get that to us in the way it needs to be just so that it's easier for us to pop it up there. Correct. Yeah. See, that's it, man. That's it. Straight up. Right on. And that up. is our ep straight up. That is episode 174 of the Disenfranchised Podcast. Um, yeah, we talked about parents. That is that is straight up episode oh, yeah. two. Straight up episode two. Straight up. Ooh, I feel episode I feel good two. about it. Man, I love that movie. Yeah, you so do. glad I got to share it with you, Steven. I'm really mm-hmm. sad that Brett couldn't be here, but I'm hoping that he'll watch it just at his leisure and maybe yeah. Maybe we, I told maybe him we can talk about it just as pals or whatever. Maybe we don't have to record it. I just want to know what on, he thinks about it. We could talk about it as a what are we watching if he ever does get around to watching it. So I, can't, I, I hope that he does. I'm going to pressure him to do it. I mean, we talked about a movie I've you've been trying to get me to watch forever on what are we watching this this week? This the one that'll drop here uh, in a few days. So. Look, it wasn't a hard sell, though. No, it wasn't. But you didn't was, need it, me to tell you to watch that fucking movie. You were going to watch it anyway. I was. You watch it anyway. But you know what? I finally did. You did. I'm very happy for you. I need to finally watch Oppenheimer. I can't believe I still haven't yeah, watched that. It's just, it's, it's the, I, I don't want to, I want to watch it all in one setting is what I'm saying. I get it. And the way that my life is like, it, it's going to have to be at night and at night. I, I just don't know. I want it to be loud too. It feels like a movie that should be, I have my sound bar is really nice. I have a really nice sound bar. It's a Bose. It's a Bose. I'm I'm like a Bose, Bose is good shit, man. Okay. And I sit, I sit about five feet from it. So, so it like doesn't it need to be that loud, good. but yeah, it doesn't. But still, when it is loud, it's. it's I mean, really look, good. It's, it's a Christopher Nolan movie, so of course it needs to be loud. That sound design, though, that's something you can always count on, Christopher Nolan. You got a I'll good sound what, set up, you're gonna have a good fucking ten. My favorite sound design of the year, though, Zone of Interest. Oh, that we're movie. Not seen that. that movie lives and dies by the sound design. And Should it, I watch that? Would I like it? I'll watch it anyway. It you should you should it's it's an important film to watch even right. if it's not I would not say it's an enjoyable watch by any stretch like of the whether, imagination. Whether I like it or not. Oh, that's the one where they're next to the concentration camp. They live mm-hmm. next to the concentration camp. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna watch that. I'm gonna hate myself, but I'm gonna watch it. Yeah, you should watch it, dude. It's I feel it's like I an, do. an insane indictment of the banality of evil, and it I think it indicts all of us on some level. Like it, and well, I you think gotta you gotta watch shit like that because yeah. then like it's it sucks but also if you can come out of that if you feel like shit after watching that that means that you're feeling the right thing you're not a sociopath right. you're okay if that upsets it, you good that that you should be thankful it <laughs> you're is not evil it is it is of all the movies that i've watched this past from from 2023 it is the one that has sat with me the most so um, My roommate uh, gave me some advice once. I was going through a breakup. And she said, uh, just ride the wave of emotion and be thankful that it's there because mm-hmm. it means you're not a sociopath. There you go. 
There you go. That's how I'd like to end this episode. <laughs> and on that note, this has been our episode on parents. We'll get back to the regular format next week, but every few months we got to check in with Tucker and straight up see what he's got for us. So this has been straight up on the disenfranchised podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Foxworthy for my absent co-host, Brett Wright and the ever present Tucker until next time. If you don't eat your pudding, you can't have any meat. How can you eat your pudding? If you don't have any meat. I think I fucked that up, but I don't care. No, I had to. Cutting out anyway. Oh, fuck you. No, I would never. I would never, Steven. You better not, bitch. Oh, hey, wait, wait, Steven, wait. You got, Mm -hmm. hey, we forgot to tell him about the the straight up the the free Patreon tier. We're doing a free Patreon tier thing. Right. So so not many people know you can actually follow our Patreon uh, for absolutely free. Um, however, the content that is accessible to you is fairly limited at this point. Uh, however, as a way of allowing us to communicate with you more directly, uh, rather than setting up like a discord server that we would have to like manage and all that bullshit, we don't want to really mess with that. So much. We don't have fucking time for that. But what we'll Uh do instead is we will release main feed episodes, starting with the parents episode of straight up. Uh, we will go ahead and release those onto the free tier at Patreon. And there's a whole comment section there. So if you follow us on the free tier level, you can just just follow us. You can actually communicate with us and uh, we can respond back to you, uh, both in our civilian guise and as uh, as the podcasters, podcast official, you know, and love. Um, Look, and real ones already know. Yeah. But that's like when you post a comment, on anything on our patreon i get an email tucker's right there if it comes from the disenfranchised podcast email like my regular email it's just a silent notification it's just a little icon shows up it's like hey man you got email no big deal and i'm like yeah that's cool but if it's disenfranchised email this motherfucker vibrates this motherfucker makes a loud ass sound like i know no matter what i'm doing tucker put it back in your pants that someone has has posted a comment on Patreon and I'm immediately checking out what it is. Like people so, are ask ask the patrons that talk to us on our our behind the paywall episodes in the comments. I'll tell you. Your boy responds fa- within seconds. Generally, you write yeah. a comment on Patreon. I'm getting back to you real fucking soon. At least I am. And right. if it's something I feel like the boys need to like like weigh in on, I'll tell them in the group chat and they will come right to my aid and we will have a big old discussion and that's that's what this podcast is all about like talking about movies yeah so we want to not only do we like to talk about movies with each other we want to talk about these movies with you we want to hear what you think about these movies that we have such strong opinions on weekly absolutely so head on over to disenfranch or patreon.com slash disenfranch pod it is late i'm sorry <laughs> patreon.com slash disenfranch pod uh join us at the uh, follow us at the free level and uh and get to talking that's that's really all we chimed in here to say so um we now return you to your regularly scheduled outro music <laughs> <laughs>